Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, go with me tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We want to continue with this that we've been looking at on this uh, concept of sound doctrine. And uh, this became even more real to me today. Uh, I was home. uh, Of course, Pastor Michelle's in North Carolina. She has been filming some things for the Sid Roth program. And uh, uh, I got a call this afternoon from one of our fellowship pastors in Ghana, West Africa. And he called me and was asking me what he should do because, uh, you know, there's some things that are going around right now, uh, you know, specifically where finances are concerned, uh, tithing. And uh, I don't know what it is because I haven't listened. Somebody was asking me the other day, uh, have you heard any of this? I, I, don't, I don't listen to it. Uh, but in any event, uh, he had some questions and then he made this statement, he said, because, uh, you know, the people are starting to wonder. And, you know, now he's a fine teacher of the Word of God, and I know what he believes, but my point is, is, so what happened? Unsound doctrine. Unsound doctrine was causing people to be shaky. And so immediately there has to be uh, and understanding. Now there's a question. A lack of sound doctrine in the pulpit will produce error from the pulpit. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, and it says this, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them, And from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then notice, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or is God-breathed, God-inspired, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we went over the various translations. One translation says, for teaching the faith and correcting error. For teaching the faith and correcting error. Uh, You never counter exotic doctrine with exotic doctrine. Error has to be confronted with the word. Another translation says, teaching the truth and refuting error. The Jerusalem Bible says teaching and for refuting error. So he states that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And the first thing he says it's profitable for is doctrine. And then refuting or correcting error. All right? Hallelujah. So good doctrine corrects error. Good doctrine protects against error. You know, I I talk about being raised uh, Pentecostal. I'm glad I was raised Pentecostal because I got a good doctrinal foundation. You know, there there were some things that 
the, the, the little assembly God church that we eventually settled in in North Fort Myers, Florida, there, there was, uh, there, you know, they didn't maybe have the revelation of, of your words or that you'd have what you say or, or even a revelation on prosperity. They believed God wanted to bless you. They believed God would heal you, but they didn't understand a lot. But we got a good doctrinal foundation. The pastor taught doctrine. Remember Sunday school? You used to go to Sunday school, and, 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 and uh, uh, the men would go to the men's Sunday school, and the women would go to the women's Sunday school, and they had the quarterly, and you know, some people make fun of the quarterly, but it was doctrine. It was doctrinal things that, that, that people need to stay safe. Hallelujah. If I don't know what is good doctrine, I won't recognize bad doctrine. Oh, hallelujah. So... The best thing a pastor can do is preach and teach sound doctrine. That protects people from error. That protects people from error. Hallelujah. Everything that we teach and preach will have the spirit of faith about it. But everything that we teach and preach won't be faith. We'll teach and preach on faith a lot. But every, everything will have the spirit of faith. Because you need more than the power of your words to be successful. You need to know that, and we emphasize that. If you were here last Sunday night, we emphasize it. But here, here's the point. I have to be doctrinally sound. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Amplified Bible says correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. I like those, those, those phrases, rightly handling, skillfully teaching. So for our doctrine to be sound, I have to accurately divide and I have to skillfully teach the word of God. Rightly dividing in this word, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful phrase because it means straight cutting or cutting straight the word. It, it carries the idea of a farmer uh, plowing his field. You know, if, if, if you watch a farmer plow his field that's done it, the rows are straight. They're not Right? When I was a boy growing up, you'd get in trouble for wavy rows. Makes harvesting harder. It makes everything about the whole field harder. It's, it's cutting straight the Word of God. And so ministers are to cut straight the Word. In, 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 in other words, stay with what the Word implicitly states. What does the Word implicitly state? Not veering off into opinion. Not veering off into religious ideas or religious mindsets. All right, I want to stay with what the Word says. I've heard people over the years, they'll say, well, everybody's got an opinion about the Word. Well, we're not concerned about your opinion about the Word. What does the Word say? You know, if it's, if it's 98 degrees outside, it's hot. Well, in my opinion, it's not. I don't care what your opinion is. It's 98 degrees, hot. Amen. 
I used to know a guy, it, it would be winter. It'd be below zero, four or five degrees below zero, 10 degrees below zero. And he'd walk around with no coat on, talking about how it wasn't cold. He's a fool. It is cold. It's, it's 10 degrees below zero. It's cold. I don't care how tough you are, unless you're a polar bear, it's cold. <laughs> Let's just cut it straight. Hallelujah. So, but people say, well, in my opinion, I've had people, you would say exactly what the word said. Well, in my opinion, wait a minute, this is not about opinion. What does the word say? Because if the word says it, then I bring my ideals and I bring my ideas and my opinion into line with the word. This, this is my opinion, Right? I've had people before want counseling, and I would be counseling them, and they'd say, well, what do you think about what I just told you? And I'll grab my Bible and say, well, let's see. What do I think? Because this, this has to govern it, right? This has to govern what I think. Glory to God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, because we're going to uh, deal with some things concerning the church tonight. And just some mindsets, ideas, things that people say. You know, very often in the church, and, and maybe not, maybe, well, I'll say it here, not here, and, and maybe not in the circles that we run in, but very often uh, the church is just like parts of the church, they, they kind of get slogans, and they just start running with them. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they're backed by the word or not. It's just, it sounds like a good slogan. I remember one time uh, uh, when Pastor Michelle and I first moved to Kansas City, uh, the area there, we went to a church called Deeper Life Christian Ministries. Pastor E.C. Morton, still a great man of God in our estimation. We love him dearly. And uh, we were there, and, and at that time, uh, his church only seated probably this many people. Not, not very big. Now, it's much larger now. He built a new one. But uh, uh, he was, uh, a man stood up one day to give a, a testimony. And he stood up and he goes, well, pastor, you know, it's like the Bible says, as long as the blood's running warm in my veins. And Pastor Morton said, do it? Where do it say it? That's how he spoke. Where do it say it? And the man just kind of went um, and sat down. Because that's just a slogan, right? And somebody will stand up and testify and they'll say, I want to thank the Lord that I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Well, they just contradicted the word four ways from Sunday. But you know what people do sitting in that testimony service? Tell it. Yes, sir. Right? Oh, say it. Say that false doctrine. And it, and it just becomes a, sl a slogan. Amen. Now, I'm just telling you how I grew up. Amen. I just want to sing for the Lord. I'm coming up. The rough side of the mountain. 
It was always the rough side, going through the storm, living in the desert. Well, see, that was opinion. Somebody's opinion. Somebody came up with a slogan. Amen. And instead of looking at what does the Word say, what, what does the Bible say? Let's look here at Matthew 16 and verse 18. We'll get Jesus' opinion here. He said, I say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that good news? So this is Jesus' view of his church. Undefeatable and unmovable. Is that right? Would, would that be what you would get from that? Upon this rock, this rock of revealed knowledge of who I am, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my called out ones. I will form my church. And the very gates of hell, of Hades, of death, the power of death will not prevail against my church. So if he said it will not prevail, it has never prevailed. Is that right? The church has never been defeated. The church will never be defeated. Because it's founded on the rock of the revealed knowledge of who Christ is. Amen. Oh, glory. So, Jesus' view of His church has not changed. When you think of his church, notice he said, my church. One of the most outstanding characteristics of the church is Jesus called it his. Jesus calls us his body. He's the head of the body. Now listen, when someone says the church is lukewarm, they're saying Jesus' body is lukewarm. But you'll hear people make that statement. You'll hear them make it from the pulpit in, on, on TV. Tell you what, the church, the church is just lukewarm. The church is just dead and drying up. You mean, the, you mean the body of Christ? Because that's what he called the church, his body. So do you think Jesus, the head, is connect, connected to a frail, weak, dried up, lukewarm, backslidden body? Well, you know, if, if your body is frail and weak, it's eventually going to affect your head. Because they're connected. How can something that has the very life of God flowing through it be lukewarm, dead, backslidden, or weak? Well, I see the church. No, you don't. No, you don't. Nobody does. That, that's one of those blanket statements. Well, you know the church. Well, now, wait a minute. At last count, there were over 2 billion people on the planet, almost 3 billion, that say they're Christians. That, that we know of. So there's almost 3 billion people that make up the church. Do you know all three billion of them? 
then no one can say this is the condition of the church. That's like saying all white folk are this way. Do you know all white folk? Well, everyone I've ever encountered, there you go, that's more truthful. Don't put that blanket of all on it. Well, you know how black folk are. Well, what do you mean? The, the ones you know or all of them? Don't get quiet on me now. Because, that, because that's shaky ground. You don't know all black people. Right? Well, you know how women are. No, I don't. I don't know how women are. I know how my woman is. And all of us men in here, we really do ourselves a favor, especially if we're message, uh, married. Just focus on your woman. And don't try to say how other women are. I don't know. Amen. Believe me. Well, you know how men are. Mm, no, 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 no. See, that's a blanket statement. You'll start stereotyping people. That, amen. The church is not lukewarm. The church is not ineffective. The church is not asleep. Those, those are all terms that are contrary to what Jesus said. Well, we need a revival. To, revival means that you're reviving something that was dead. The church isn't dead. Oh, hallelujah. Look, look over in Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 4. This is important because the view of the, of the view you have of the church determines what you're going to expect and receive from the church. If your view of the church is lukewarm, ineffective, backslidden, cold, that you're not going to get anything because you're not expecting anything. If my view of the church is this is what Jesus said was his body, every time I go to church, I can expect to receive something because I'm the body of Christ. Amen. Did, do you see that? Jesus does, thought so much of the church that he placed gifts in the church that would specifically speak into the lives of people and rescue them and help them grow in the things of God. That, that's how undefeatable the church is. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 14. Oh, hallelujah. I'm sorry, not 4. Uh, verse chapter uh, 3 and verse 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. I would you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, over and over again, you'll hear people say, Yeah, we're like the Laodicean church. But here's the problem. This is not a description 
of the church. It's a description of a church. Not the church. This is one of the seven churches of Asia Minor. That Jesus appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. And said, I want you to write them these letters. Every church that he wrote to was not like this. He wrote to seven of them. Some of them got mild correction. One of them got no correction. One of them got very stern correction. But, but notice something. Why were they lukewarm? Because you say, I'm rich and increased with goods. I have need of nothing. Well, what they're saying is, I'm putting all my trust in myself. We got this. Hallelujah. He said, I need you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich with white raiment that you may be clothed and that your shame, your nakedness does not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you can see. That you can see what? Verse 20, that I'm standing at the door and knocking at my own church. You see this? The picture is Jesus is outside the doors of the Laodicean church because they don't need anything. They don't don't need anything from him. They got it. And he says, you don't see, right? You don't see that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, and you're naked. You're lukewarm. And I'm knocking on the door of this local church all you get, no, no, notice what he said. All you got to do is hear my voice, and I'll come in, and I'll sup with you, and you can sup with me. And here's what I want for you. I want you to overcome. And when you overcome, I will grant you to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. And then he said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. Let him hear the correction, let him hear the problem, but also let him hear what will happen if I'll correct it and overcome. He ended each of these letters with a note of victory. Because that's his desire. He wasn't just correcting the churches to be corrective. He was saying there's something that you need to push towards. And it's this overcoming. Hallelujah. So see, that's not the church. The church doesn't have Jesus outside wanting to get in. The church has Him in their midst every every service. The church lives with Him. The church abides with Him. The church abides in Him and He abides in them. They are in the vine. And we're bringing forth much fruit. Hallelujah. Somebody told me one time, they said, you know, you're just a cheerleader for the church. Well, how can you not be? When you read through the Word of God and see what God thinks of His church, how can you not be a cheerleader for it? Amen. Do you see this? The devil wants people thinking and saying, That the church is cold. That the church is indifferent. Because that's what they'll start believing. 
And, that's, and what they believe, they'll act on. Amen. I'll say this very boldly. You know, you know why? You know why that you you know why you came back to church and we fill this place up throughout the week? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You see the people come out Sunday night? They just kept coming in. But you know why you came back after after the world went through what they went through and we dealt with some of it? But you know why you came back? Because the church has changed your life. If, if, if where you were going has made no difference, there's no reason to go back to it. Hallelujah. But if you're like Peter, when Jesus looked at, at, at those men that were offended at him already and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. And it says, they left him and walked no more with him. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, y'all going too? And Peter, he missed it in some areas like we all have. But boy, he got it right here. He stepped up and he said, where do we have to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. If, if the church has changed your life, then you want to be a part of it. But if it's just religion, there's no reason to go back to it. Hallelujah. The church is the biggest enemy of the devil's ultimate plan. Hallelujah. Because the church is the representation of Jesus in the earth. We're the body of Christ in the earth, doing the same works the man Jesus did in the earth, producing the same effects and results that the man Jesus produced. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So, so that's, that, that's the biggest enemy of the devil's plan. And everything that you saw in 2020, 2021, folks, listen, listen. The devil hates people, but he really hates the church. Amen. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in them. But here's, here's the thing. I know the devil's conspiracy was to try to get the church. But he didn't get it done. And he never will get it done. Hallelujah. Why? Because we're the church. We're the church. Amen. Glory to God. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm part of the church. So, we can say unequivocally, the church is not lukewarm. Jesus is not coming back for a lukewarm church. He's not coming back for a weak church. And it's not something that people are going to finally get fired up. Sometimes that's, that's, it's taught that way. Well, you know, we'll just all get fired up and get the gospel out and bring Jesus back. That's not even what that scripture means. Well, if we can just get the gospel around the world, we can get Jesus brought back. We need that last great day's revival, and we'll bring Jesus back. You'll hear preachers say, I got to keep going, got to keep going, because we got to get this gospel out so we can bring Jesus back. You're putting the responsibility on yourself for bringing Jesus back. 
And that scripture is used like a, a whip to beat people. Pop, y'all get out there and witness. Pop, get out there. Let's bring Jesus back. You can't hurry it up. No man knows the day or the hour except the Father. It's already in his schedule. There, you can't hurt, you can't, you can't do anything to speed up or stop the rapture. It can happen right now. There's, there's nothing else that has to be done or fulfilled for the rapture to happen. The rapture is a supernatural event that only affects the church. Hallelujah. See, because, the, and that, that's part of bad doctrines. People have not made the difference between the rapture and the day of the Lord and the second coming and the return of Christ. Separate events. The rapture, affects, uh, the rapture affects the church. It's specific to the church. The coming of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. Those, those, those events affect the whole earth. That's when Jesus comes and rules the nations with a rod of iron. Hallelujah. My point in saying that, we could be out of here in any minute, any moment. We got to live that way. We got to live rapture ready because it's coming. Nobody knows when it's coming. It's coming. And one day the trumpet will sound. The voice of the archangel will be heard and we'll be bye-bye world goodbye. Amen. You, you understand? And, and, and that, is, that is whether or not you've got everybody saved in your neighborhood or not. That's whether you got all your family members saved or not. We're going. Amen. Old folks called it that great getting up morning. Amen. We're, we're going to get up and get out of here one of these days. Hallelujah. Rapture drill. We're just practicing to go. Amen. So important. So important. Yeah, but I heard so-and-so say it. I don't care who you heard say it. Paul said, if I or an angel from God teach something contrary to this book, don't believe it. Amen. Hallelujah. I saw somebody the other day saying, you know, said they went to heaven. Now, you know, people say, well, pastor, you know, you can't say whether a person went to heaven or not. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I also know the Bible says that you need to try the spirit. And this person, everybody that died, they saw him in heaven. Oh, yeah, I saw Elvis Presley. He was in heaven on the piano playing a song for Jesus. I could just see Elvis in heaven at the piano. Are you lonesome tonight? I mean, I hope he went. I, I mean, I don't know his life. I can't judge him. I hope he went. I know he's raised assembly gone. But then, uh, then they said, uh, they saw Whitney Houston in heaven. And the Lord gave Whitney Houston a treasure box and it had a, 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 a garment in it. And when she put the garment on, the garment would sing. And that's the garment of praise that the Bible talks about. Well, I hope she made it too. I mean, they just went down the list. Ungodly people that I heard that were filthy mouth in heaven. 
People say, well, what's wrong with that? It's bad doctrine. It leads people astray. You understand? Leads people astray. When I hear people talk flippantly about heaven that way, like this individual was, I always go back to what Paul said. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But this man was caught up to the third heaven and heard things that it's not lawful to utter. That was Paul who went to the third heaven. And isn't it interesting, in none of the epistles does he describe what he saw, who he saw, See, I have the Bible for what I'm supposed to believe. Now, you can believe whatever you want to about that. It's not the difference between heaven and hell. But good doctrine demands that I look at it. Oh, hallelujah. Well, you know, when you go to heaven, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus will invite you to a neighborhood warming party. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he'll invite everybody and David will be there because David goes to all of them and, and they'll send you an invitation and when you open the invitation it'll sing to you because the invitation's alive because everything's alive in heaven. You really think I'm going to need a piece of paper to tell me where to go in heaven? I, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that's how bad doctrine slips in. Now somebody will hear that and start basing their opinion on what somebody said instead of on the Word. Now, so then there's a question. Will there be a great falling away? Well, let's go to 2 Thessalonians and look. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Hallelujah. And... Uh, This is where we'll begin. Hallelujah. Very often you'll hear ministers say, well, the Bible says there will be a great falling away in the last days. And what this does is leave the impression that, you know, people are going to decide not to serve Christ and just forsake the church and, and fall away from the truth. And at the same time, that same minister will say there's about to be a great end time revival. Well, which is it? We're going to have a falling away or a revival? Can't have both. One or the other. Well, Scripture has the answer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled or by spirit, or by word, or by letter, as from us, that that day of Christ is at hand. All right, that's not the rapture of the church. That's the second coming. That's the return of Christ physically to the earth. Let no man deceive you. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Now, you've got to keep your scriptures in context. Because here's the thing. He can't be talking about the rapture. 
Because verse 3 is talking about the rapture. So he's saying that day cannot come until after the rapture. I'll show you. Hang on. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Well, the man of sin is not revealed till after the rapture of the church. So the day of Christ can't be the rapture of the church because he says that day can't happen till the Antichrist is revealed. And yet, according to Revelation and according to Paul, we're gone before the Antichrist shows up. Cut straight the word. See, this is one of those slogans. Well, you know, the Bible says in the last days, there'll be a great falling away. The church is going to get lukewarm. The church, oh, going to be. No, no, not according to Scripture. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or worship so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know. Do you see this? And now you know. What do we know, Paul? What withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? What withholds the Antichrist that he might be revealed at the right time? Now you know what's withholding him. All right? For the mystery of iniquity already works. Only let him, only he that lets will let until he be taken out of the way. And then, see, don't just read your Bible. Read your Bible. And then, so there's something that's going to happen, and then that wicked will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So we see some different phrases here. One of the primary rules of biblical interpretation is you cannot take scriptures out of their context. They have to remain in the context of the scriptures that surround them. Verse 1 and 2, we read, we made the statement, the rapture or the day of Christ is not the rapture of the church. The day of Christ is when Jesus physically returns to the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. That day cannot occur till after the Antichrist is revealed. Wouldn't that be what the scripture says? Hallelujah. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. This Greek word for falling away, apostasia, A-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-A, apostasia, it means to defect, it means to fall away. But it also means departure. Departure. The Woos Bible says, Do not begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in any way, because that day, what day? The day of the man of sin. 
All right? That day shall not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first. And the man of lawlessness is disclosed in his true identity, the son of perdition. So Kenneth S. Woost, in his fine uh, translation, Rick Renner said his was the finest Greek translation of the New Testament he knew of. He said that that day, the day of Christ, the revealing of the Antichrist, could not occur until the departure of the church to heaven. Now, if you read commentaries, I'm not suggesting that you do or that you should, but if you do, almost every commentary will refer to this word apostasia. They'll never mention the departure. It's always a falling away, a defection. And people say, well, look, every commentary says that. Can I tell you something else? Every commentary I have ever read says Paul's thorn was sickness and disease. Every commentary. Now here's my point. Commentaries are not Scripture. They're commentaries on Scripture. In other words, they're my opinion. Right? What's the Scripture say? That's, that's what you run into with some of your new translations. Is they're paraphrases. They're somebody's opinion as to what that says. But a word-for-word translation will lead you to understand this is a referring, a referral to the rapture of the church. Then verse 6 says, you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. The Woost Bible says, and now you know with positive assurance that which, namely, the departure of the church, the saints being assembled together to the Lord, is preventing His being disclosed as to his true identity in his strategic appointed time. So he says, now we know what is preventing the revealing of the Antichrist. The departure of the church. Once the church is departed, the the gates are open. Why? Because there's no undefeatable unstoppable force in the earth anymore. The thing that was built on the rock of the revealed knowledge of Christ is gone. Hallelujah. And according to Paul and according to Revelation, everybody that is on the earth after the rapture of the church that is not born again is not born again because they don't want to be born again. And that's why the, 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 the wrath of God begins to be poured out the day after the church is gone, it starts. And it'll be the full cup. Why? Because it's a world of rebellion. And there'll be people get saved. They'll have evangelists that people will get saved. The Holy Spirit will still be working. You can't take the Holy Spirit out of the earth. He'll never be out of the earth. The earth is the Lord's. But the body of Christ will leave. And when the body of Christ leaves, the Antichrist has an open door 
to be revealed. Hallelujah. But how many know that when Christ returns with the church, the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist, and the devil, right? Three of them before the devil get thrown in the lake of fire. Then the devil gets chained and put in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. By one angel, by the way. One. And after a thousand years, he's released to tempt the earth. Why? Because there will be people that make it through the tribulation that were not born again. And they'll have to make a choice. They'll have to choose the lordship of Christ or the lordship of Satan. And he convinces some people to fight against God. And in the other scriptures, Jesus fought. In that scripture, God fights. Why? Because all authority, all rule, all power has been turned over to him. And the Bible says fire comes out of his mouth and consumes those armies. And then it says, and then Satan was took and thrown into the lake of fire. Glory to God. Isn't that something? He can't take over the earth because we're here. And even when he thinks he's winning, we come back and he's just loser. Hallelujah. Even during the tribulation, he can't do what he wants to do. He wants to rule the whole earth and he just can't. He just, he just can't. You read the Bible. It, 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 says, it says that the Antichrist is pursuing the people of God. But then he hears a report and, the, and they're, they're rising up against his authority in another part of the world. And he's got to take his troops and he's got to go over there. He never, the Antichrist never rules the whole earth. Cannot. Because the earth belongs to the Lord. Oh, Hallelujah. Now, people say, well, that, you know, Pastor, how does that matter? It matters because it determines what you're looking for. Well, you know how bad things are in the world. After all, the Bible says there'll be a great falling away. Hmm, there's going to be a great departure. Oh, hallelujah. Can you imagine that? One day people in the world just wake up or they're sitting at their job and reports come that millions of people have just vanished. What do you think that's going to do to the world? Think, think about some of your neighbors that are your good neighbors that aren't born again. What's that going to do to them if they don't get saved? They always borrow your tools. And you're out trimming the hedges and they're talking to you. And you're gone. One day is he coming back. I'll take his hedge trimmer. <laughs> No, they'll probably fall out. Hallelujah. See, this is important because we're cutting straight the word. Hallelujah. There'll be those that turn away from the faith, but we're not to be looking for a mass exodus from the church. We're not supposed to be looking for people to become lukewarm. Hallelujah. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, I'll be done with this.
And uh, there's, you can read this, verse 6 through 10. For the sake of time, I won't read all the verses, but we'll paraphrase what's in them. Notice our instruction. And, and uh, uh, no book in the Bible deals with the rapture of the church and, and last things like First and Second Thessalonians. It's concentrated here. And notice our instruction beginning in verse 6 to the church. Do not sleep. Don't sleep. Then he says, not to be drunk. In other words, don't let your mind be clouded. Don't, don't get worked up with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Don't, 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 don't get worked up in surfeiting. Keep your focus on eternal things. The best thing you can do is live with eternity in your mind. Amen. Because, because this life is the shortest thing you'll ever know. If, if you live to be 120 years old, it's over like that. There are people sitting in here, ever what age you are. If, if you're above the age of 50, it seems like you were just 30 yesterday. you got to remind yourself how old you are. Because there's no way you could be that old. Right? Amen. I was thinking the other day, I started, I started pastoring faith builders when I was 36 years old. That was a long time ago. Hallelujah. I didn't have one gray hair. You say, it don't look like you have any either. I know. Clairol helps me. Say, I wouldn't tell everybody that. Well, you know anyway. Hallelujah. You know, that guy, you know he got a facelift. Well, praise God. God bless him. He's enjoying life. <laughs> Tuck it, tie it, chop it, whatever. It's all, it's all going into rapture, though. When I see him, I'll know as I'm known. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Then he says, number three, thirdly, be sober. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. There needs to be a soberness about us. We comfort each other with the hope. The, Bi the Bible says uh, uh, that the, 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 the uh, great hope of the church is the rapture. And we comfort each other with that. But we live sober-minded because when we go, there's a lot of people that aren't going to go. And I've got to be sober-minded. I can't just be uh, cowering down and waiting for the trumpet. i got to occupy. Then he says, arm yourself with faith and love and the hope of salvation. Well, the hope of salvation is not the hope of being saved, but the hope that we have because we got saved. Verse 9, notice this. It says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We have no appointment with wrath. And, and that is in eternity, in hell, and we have no appointment with wrath on the earth. 
I heard people talk about COVID being the wrath of God. Can't be the wrath of God. We're here. It's just the reality of it. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. The fact that we're born again guarantees our deliverance. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. Now, now do you understand why the Scripture says, uh, He that is begotten of God sinneth not, and that wicked one cannot touch him? There, there are Christians, that, number one, there are Christians who don't even know that Scripture's in the Bible. And secondly, if they do know it's in the Bible, they try to work it around where it doesn't mean what it means. He said, if I don't give the devil a license, he can't touch me. Well, what's the Bible say? As he is Christ in this world, so are you. Well, how is Christ in the world? The wicked one's coming, but he has nothing in me. Isn't that right? Amen. Glory to God. Tell your neighbors, say, cut straight the word. Let's stand up tonight, shall we? Praise the Lord. God's good to us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not looking for a hole in the ground. I'm looking for a hole in the sky. When I was a boy growing up in church, we'd say, we'll see you here, there, and there. One one way or the other, we're going. Amen. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, just try it on your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I believe that I'll see you in the rapture. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't that going to be great? And as you're going, you're just going to change. That, that corruption is going to put on incorruptibility. Oh, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you're going to be at the perfect age. You're going to look perfect. Oh, glory. Can you imagine how you look perfect? I can tell you how you look good. Hallelujah. Isn't that good?